Welcome to the DP30 Emmy Audio Pod. Hi there. Hi, David. Hey. How are you? How are you? I'm hanging in there. Good. On today's show, we own this city's Josh Charles. So are you actually in Baltimore? No, no, no. I live in New York. I thought so. When I, when I, saw, I saw some part of the... Uh, the Jimmy show where <laughs> you <Yeah>. brought out. <laughs> and I was like, wow, is he living in Baltimore again after COVID or something? No, it, you know, uh, Jimmy, it's like, I, he's like the one show I've probably done the most and just like we're friends. So like whenever we do it, we just end up like just kibitzing and bullshitting for like, you know, I think our sex, our segment was supposed to be eight minutes and we talked for like 13, 14 minutes. But we always do something usually like Baltimore Raven centric, like, cause it's fun. I've, I've, there's been years when I've gone on there and we've played uh, like I had a couple of the Ravens the year they won the Super Bowl and we got them to come up and we played like a game in the hallway where we were all dressed in these bubbles and we had to like kick the ball <laughs> to the elevator or something like it's always fun to do stuff like that with him. But that time, yeah, he, he was like, let's make, uh, you know, let's do something Baltimore, not sport related. And so uh, let's make snowballs. Are you were you too young to be pained by the Colts leaving? No, not young at all. I was devastated. It, it was a very, um, it was a very sore subject for me and my household and our entire city for a very long time. Made particularly harder for me because my uncle, on my mom's side, my uncle Marty, uh, he actually worked for the Colts, and so he left with them and he moved to Indianapolis. And he was their video director for years and years and years. I think he just retired. I don't know. I want to say half a dozen years ago i can't remember exactly but you know and so it was always hard for me because i i love marty so much i was always happy when they won because he'd get a bonus but it, i i hate that team now that he's retired now i can go back to hating them. you can go back to hating it i'm from pikesville so are you yes <laughs> i didn't know that yeah i'm from that it's, it's weird there's a little cult of us from pikesville where did you go to school well, I left by the time I was, I was, I went to Hisakamuna and then uh, Bethel, or we went to, we, synagogue was Bethel, I went to Temple Emanuel, what was it, Emanuel? Emanuel. day school, Bethphila, I went to, Bethphila, oh my third God. grade. <laughs> this, I had no idea watching your interviews, I never, I never would have guessed that in a million years, that's amazing, I love Water that. is the only thing I really bring back from Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh my God, no, I, I, yeah. I know all this place as well. We make a point of going back for crabs as soon as possible every year yeah. where do you go uh what's the name of that there's a place now that's like out in the we have a guy a, a doctor a friend of ours who's my sister's park school friend uh and they're like 13 years older than me um and he jeffrey gaber is, the, is a doctor for many years and he's the guy who always knows where the crabs are where the jumbos are he knows where they are so they move every three or four years it moves <laughs> your sister went to park my sister went to park with uh, Tom uh, Rothman. Tom Rothman and John Rothman. And so John she Rothman. Went to park. John she was went... a year older than her, and Tom was a year younger than her. So she, how old is she? Your sister? Sorry, let me ask. He just turned seventy. Okay, so my wife's uh, mom went there, and she's a little older than that. So she, they, they, she was probably a little ahead of your sister. <laughs> Small world. Yes, it is. What's well, weird because at one time I was. This is I've. I was talk, I was playing phone tag with Tom Rothman and uh, I said, I was on the phone, just, you know, my sister was in town and I said, oh, I can't, you know, we're playing phone tag. He goes, Tom Rothman, who's, is that 
Tommy Rothman. Tommy Rothman. I know. <laughs> in the East Coast, he's Tommy Rothman. Yes. When he moved to the West Coast, he became Tom Rothman. So funny. And his his brother is a very good friend of mine. Lives in my building, and we're huh. we're old friends. And uh, John, and he's uh, a wonderful actor. So yes. that's kind of a small world, Baltimore. It is a tiny place. And then uh, Levinson actually used to date, try to date my aunt. <laughs> oh my God. I've had that conversation. It's a, it's a little surreal. Where are you right now? Are you in LA? I'm in LA. Yeah. I'm in LA for 25 years, 30 years now. Oh my God, I can't even believe I'm saying it. But we're yeah, in LA. here a long time. Where my, in wife, LA? Uh, my wife was from New York and moved out here. So now I'm really stuck. So you're really there. You're in. Yeah. You're in it. I miss New York. Anyway, <laughs> it's nice to talk to you, David. Now I feel even more excited knowing that you're a, you're a, you're a member of the Baltimore tribe. I am. And then, of course, I go then, of course, I'm part of the uh, Dead Poet Society thing. I feel like I've interviewed almost everybody in the movie at this point <laughs> over Probably the years. Have, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I actually worked with Gail on a movie that I wrote yeah. years ago that was terrible. Uh, mostly because of anyway, it's a long story, but yeah, Gail was uh, on a movie. It was like, that's, he's the rarest of uh, Dead Poet Society's members, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, just because he was, you know, at the time, his age, you know, he was so much older than us. So it was cool. I mean, the, the story of how he got cast, I always thought was really pretty, pretty exciting and fun. You know, that uh, I remember Peter talking about it, that you know, when they found out he was older, they didn't know I think he had lied about it. And then when they found out, you know, it was like, what are they going to do? But then Peter thought, you know, it's something that the character would have done. Like, it's it's totally a movie right. that Charlie would. That was cool. I, I love that story. So were you always going to be an actor? Is this a thing that was who you were? Yeah. I, it is something that I've always, for some godforsaken reason, <laughs> been, been interested in, Dave. I can't tell you that I know always why i guess none of us know all consciously sort of why we make the decisions we made but yeah since i was a kid i was always into i was very into comedy when i was a kid and doing stand-up comedy and then i would do like local plays and my mom had found an article in the back of the new york times magazine about this theater camp you know uh, in upstate new york called stage door manor and i went there first i think i was nine or ten in 1982 and I was supposed to stay for three weeks. Um, I'd never been to sleepaway camp before and was terrified like the first day or so before they allowed you to call, you know, uh, uh, call your parents. And I called my dad. I think when we finally could, and I was crying. I want to come home. I don't want to do this. And said, just give it another day. Or the, the camp said, and just give it another day. If he does, it's fine. And then like a day later, I spoke to him and I was like, I want to, I want to stay for the whole summer. It, it just shifted. Like I just was around people that felt um, just as passionate, you know, as I did about acting, writing and plays. And so it just opened up a whole world for me. Um, I went to school for the arts also in Baltimore. So for a while, you know, pre, pre high school, I was at this camp. And then for, I think one year in high school, I did both. Um, And so I was just surrounded by it, you know, both, you know, summer and through the school year and through that, that camp got my first manager, you know, as a kid and started acting and I go up to New York and audition on the summers and, and, uh, and then moved up here very, very young. Ironic that Hairspray was the first movie. It is. And in fact, you know, I auditioned for that in New York. I was living with my friend, older friend, David Quinn, who's a, who's a teacher now, who's a, 
he had an apartment on 34th street and I was able to stay with him the summer and I was working as an assistant in like a commercial editing house um, that some guys that have, that, my, that I knew and my, my father had worked with as a commercial director. And I was doing that sort of, you know, kind of keep myself busy and doing some auditions. And that was the summer I auditioned for Hairspray and it took me right back to Baltimore, which is so interesting. So was it, you real? how were you, do you ever feel like you were struggling at the beginning or you kind of moved, you went pretty quick into the mainstream? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting thing, right? I mean, I was talking about this in another, another piece. I said someone, it's, it's just, you know, it's like the blessing and the curse when you start when you're young and you have some success, right? I mean, in some ways, to answer your question, no, in other ways, tremendously, but it's been a much longer struggle. You know, it hasn't been, it wasn't like the struggle that I just had to wait and wait and wait. I, I feel like I got some success early on, but I also realized early on, like what I wanted to do that I, that I really wanted to be like an actor. I didn't just want to be famous or be a star. Like I wanted to actually work and be an actor and grow and push myself and challenge myself. So that awareness came at the same time of like, you know, always struggling to, yeah, find material that you could do that. In, and it doesn't always present itself. So you're trying to, you know, juggle having a career, making a living with like doing things that kind of keep pushing you. And I, I find some of my, my good friends and counterparts obviously have a much easier time with it. Some of them, you know, and the rest of us, I think it's, it's, it's tricky. You know, you, you, you're kind of constantly balancing that. So I, I feel like the struggle for me has been, I mean, I hesitate saying this because it probably sounds obnoxious because I, I think by, by any metric, I think I'm, I feel very successful and I'm happy about that. I don't mean to be, I'm, I'm flattered and, and honored, honestly, that, that I've been able to make a living in a career. But I think how we view it from our own lens is always different than maybe how it views from the outside. And so for me, it's always about like doing, working with people that inspire me and pushing me and just to try to, to, to scare myself, to challenge myself. And, um, and so I feel that struggle, as you're saying, like it, that's continuous. It never stops. I've never found, I've never found that it stopped in my entire career. Have you, what is it about a role? How do you get into, well, how do you make a choice? I mean, I'm sure that as a younger actor, you didn't really have as many choices, but yeah. you know, what is it that turns you on about a script? Is it, or are you interested in the director? Are you interested in the cast? Is it the overall story? I think, it, I think it's everything. I mean, I think it's, it, it's sometimes maybe it's the director. Sometimes it's, you know, but it's always starts with the script. I mean, I think the story is where everybody, you know, the director, the actors, that's where we're all starting. And I, I'm excited by, yeah good writing writing that that um you know that that hits me you know and, and that i connect with that i have a, a, a reaction to that i feel um passionate about wanting to step into that world and and try to help tell that story it starts there but then it's also sometimes you know yeah you want to you want to work with actors you want to work you know with a, with a particular director and I, I remember i don't know if it was who told me i want to say maybe pascal Ferrand told me a story I think it was her that told me the story that that you know um Truffaut would, would always say that you know I think he was quoted as saying like every film that he made you know was in direct you know opposition to the last film he made like he was always trying to sort of do something completely different and and I kind of I feel like in answering your question sometimes it is that it is the context of that moment of where you're at like what you've just finished like right now you know 
Um, you may want to do something much lighter. And, you know, I love to do comedy as well. So I, I'm always kind of like looking to, to do something that I haven't done recently or I want to do. And I feel, you know, the, the disadvantage of when you start as a young actor is just the sense that people, you know, it's not just for young actors, but any actor, I think, David, that people are always putting you in a box. You know, here, here's what you do. Here's where you are. Right. And I think we know like a lot of people, like they see what is right in front of them. They don't always like have the greatest imagination or, or remember, or I should say memory as to what you have done or seen you do in this play or that. And so it feels like a constant kind of, you know, it, it's always very exciting when you're able, you know, in that situation to, to be able to throw a change up or a curveball to people and just kind of keep them on their toes a little bit guessing about like, Oh, right. Oh, okay. Right. You know, you do that, you do this, you know, and that that's always fun. Well, it does seem like a lot of your career or a lot of the gigs at least have been that you're the, you know, good looking leading man, but something else is going on behind your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of those roles. I see. <laughs> like he's handsome enough to be the star, but it's the woman he's going to, you know, there's definitely a pairing and. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so when you got to sports night, did you think that was, did you feel like that? Okay. Now we're, now I'm cruising. This is, I've got a thing that I can be on for years and years and years. And it's just going to keep on going or. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I remember I had never, I don't think I had done a TV show yet. Actually, I had made one pilot that didn't go anywhere with Chris McQuarrie, my friend. And and uh, that was the first TV show I had done. And then this came soon after that. And um, so I didn't really know what to expect. You know, I knew I knew Aaron from New York because we used to live in the same building. And I had been offered a role on A Few Good, few good Men, the, the, the theater, the original theater production. Right. And I ended up not doing it for scheduling things or whatever. But we kind of knew each other somewhat, not super well. And so when that script came, I think I just was like, I was really, you know, impressed by uh, the writing of it, you know, and the pilot certainly excited to say that this could feel different um, and knowing that, that Tommy Shlomi was doing it and coming from that Larry Sanders world that we were trying to sort of, trying to sort of follow that path as much as possible on a network sort of framing. And so it, it felt like it had endless possibilities. Um, so I didn't, I didn't actually think about it in terms of long-term, I mean, the thinking of signing on to something like that was actually more of a horror at that age. You know, you're young and you're like six years, like what? And so that was actually an important part of me in wanting to do the show was like that, that, that we have some kind of, you know, collaborative exchange into like what happens with the character. Cause that's a long time to commit to something when you're just basing it off a pilot and some words someone says to you about what they think it's going to be you know, it was important to me to invest that at that time. I just knew already inherently, like if I'm going to agree to do it, I want to know that, you know, I can explore things that are interesting and kind of dive into this character. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know that we ever got to do that really fully. I mean, maybe somewhat, but it never really, you know, it never really got that full long ride and I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't seem very career-y. You, you seem rational about your career, but not like, yeah, I, I guess it's, I guess, I, I don't know. Good question. I mean, it's a good thought. I mean, a good comment. I I think I've tried at times and I think maybe it's just part one element of like getting a little older where I'm just a little more like, this is where I'm at. This is what happens, you know, like I kind of just sort of try to be more in the moment and that has, doesn't always succeed, if I'm being honest, it's tricky. 
because uh, there is there is an element to all actors. You know, they'll tell you when you finish job that fear of like I will never work again. This is it. You know, and you we hear people that. like, well, I mean, look, you hear Meryl Streep talk about it. I mean, there's actors that and I don't think it's bullshit. You know, what I mean, I think when actors talk about that, it's real. It you know, it builds into our sort of primal sensitivity of like what we're selling. You know, I'm not selling this iPhone case or, you know, these glasses, you know, it's like, it's myself. And so I have to put myself into that. And in order to do that, well, I think you have to, you have to have a tremendous amount of sensitivity and empathy of human behavior. And, and, and therefore that opens you up. It's very hard to sort of then take rejection and not take it personally and take Mm -hmm. it like it's, it's, you know, so that that has been part of the, you know, the struggle is acting too. It's always been a lifelong sort of feeling of self-doubt. And so you're always like that. Do you like, no, I don't like, I don't like it. And I think, you know, being married and having kids and, you know, that has grounded me in a way, you know, sometimes it's the the, the parenting aspect is frustrating in terms of feeling like, um, and feeling like um, my wife just walked by and made like a really goofy, the expression of trying to make me laugh let's see see, see what she, she just did that she's walking out it's interesting um i wish that i wish i had a reverse on that you would have laughed um but it uh it's sort of it, it's given me like yeah other things to focus on which has been great to, to just sort of make sure to, to be grateful for to um to to again take stock in where i'm at but no i i I mean, I care about my career. I, I want to do good work, but I, I just find that the much planning and all that stuff, I'm just not one of those people. I kind of feel like I want to, you know, take what's in front of me and, and kind of try to dig in from there. You, it's, it's worked, it seems like. I mean, you work a lot. Some, I mean, I, I, it, it's worked somewhat. I mean, you know, I, I feel, I, I think what, you know, it's interesting. I, I felt like there was a period of time and I, I felt like, you know, the Good Wife was really where I got to, I mean, In Treatment was a, a show that I felt like got to explore some of the depths that I thought I, as, an, as a human, was working on in my life, my own sort of therapeutic life, and my own therapy, and feeling like, you know, I, I, had, I had more to give than maybe the roles that were coming to me. And so that, that, I felt, was like the first opportunity, like in film, really, to sort of show, you know, just more, more of the depth that I felt I had to give that I, I didn't feel like the roles I was getting were, were accessing that. And so that, that felt, you know, good in that way and also scary and challenging. And I certainly think in The Good Wife, you know, just to be able to, to be in that kind of great writing for so long and sort of, it, it sort of, I don't know, I feel like it tackled all the things I like in terms of, you know, you know, just the gray area of humanity and human behavior and ethics and, and that it had funny stuff that was, you know, darkly funny and, and really serious stuff. And just to be able to combine in that world and play all those tonally together was really fun and, and, and rich. Um, and, and there's, you know, and I've had that in the theater. I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I, did, a, I did a play once in, um, in Chicago, a uh, Richard Greenberg play. And, um, and while I was doing it, I, I, got, I got quite friendly with Anna Shapiro, who wasn't directing this play, but, you know, was a member of Steppenwolf. And, uh, mm-hmm. and she was getting ready to go direct this Carol Churchill play, a number in San Francisco. And I was like, you know, I, I had just bought my first apartment in New York City and there was doing construction on the building. So it felt like, like a good time to be away. But the, I remember the role just terrifying me. You know, it's, I don't know if you know the play, but it's just a two-hander. It's very short, but it's got like 
it's Lear, you know, in terms of its scope. And, uh, and I, I hadn't seen the New York production that, that had been a few years earlier. And this was sort of the West Coast, you know, premiere or whatever. And I loved Anna. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to jump in and do it. And I did it. And I remember, you know, that was tackling this play that, like, you know, in some ways, like I said, the scale is huge. But, like, in New York, it was done at New York Theater Workshop. It was a small little theater. You know, that's the kind of way it's done. And here we are doing it at the Geary in San Francisco in this 900-seat theater. And even though we made the, the actual setting smaller it still was vast and it was fucking terrifying um and i did it and we did it well and you know i remember you know feeling very emotional after it you know like i just remember feeling like i don't know if it's the night of the premiere and those runs are short you only do it a month and like you have four previews and then you're open but i remember anna just saying to me like you you can do it so now do it do you know what i mean like now you know like you're like you faced it and like you know that you're capable of doing this and you're doing it good like and that that's, did start to sort of build some confidence in me of like wanting to tackle material that I felt maybe because the industry was telling me, you know, hey, we you're here, you know, and or you're here. And again, I, I feel like I've gotten great roles. I'm happy with it. But I mean, you know, you're doing this as a lifelong career. You want to kind of keep trying, testing out I'm, I'm many things. I'm not one thing. Right. And so that really put me on a path. And it's still been frustrating at times, you know, that that just the film work that, that, you know, trying to find that material. I've really had to look more to the stage to find the things that I think, you know, push me more in that direction. And, and that, that has helped. Uh, but, you know, certainly this show, you know, doing it was something that I felt, you know, it, it was a story I knew very well, obviously, you know, because I'm from the city and I know obviously Dave and George's work quite well and, and huge fans of theirs. And I, I really, was excited to be a part of telling the story because I'm from the city, because I knew it well, because I know the character I'm playing is actually from Highland Town proper, like in Baltimore. He's the one member of that whole task force who's actually from the city. And that was very important to me to kind of stamp that level of authenticity and make sure I nail, you know, what he sounds like and, you know, how he was. And so that, that was, that was important for me. And it, it was a, it was certainly an exciting part of doing it. It was like, you know, this will be fun to, 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 to dive into this. And I felt very confident in my abilities to do it. But at the same time, you never know if you can end up with egg in your face. So, you know, it, it's, it's nice that I don't seem to have done that. Maybe I did. I don't know. Did they send you the whole thing when you were going to sign up? No, all of it was. Yeah, I think I did read most of it. Yeah, most of them. Yeah, they were still rewriting some of the end ones, I think, before we started. But I, I, I read most of them. And, you know, he's such a... I mean, it was one of those things where, of course, like I wanted to have, you know, you'd love to have that character have a little bit more screen time and have some sort of more development. But I kind of also realized the role that he plays in the piece and the narrative and like what what, what the importance is of him and, and had a really great conversation with George Pelicanos early about like, you know, a lot of the other characters spoke to the police when they were arrested and Herschel never did. And he was mm -hmm. one of the two that didn't. And he went to trial. And, and it, it's come out later in the reporting and actually Justin reported on it that there were actually proper sessions, but at the time, nobody knew that. And so nobody had that information. So in the narrative of We Own the City, a lot of times you're getting into certain narrative threads through the, the, the um, interviews with, with, the, with the police that have been you know, arrested. We never, we didn't have that luxury rehearsal. You know, you don't, you're not ever in his point of view saying, well, this is what I did here and this and there and Wayne did this. And so, you know, 
that's clear. And part of that is like you're here, but yet yet you feel his presence a lot because he's being talked about so much, right? You're hearing about him, you're hearing about him. And so I don't know. I, I felt like that was that was for me about like, okay, well, what I do have and the time that I do have in front of the screen, like I want to try to make the most of it and make an impact and make sure that you feel this character's presence. And I think the cool thing is when I signed on, David, like that scene in the end of episode two was not written. And they added that scene, I think, as they were kind of going through and rewriting. And I was really excited that they did because it just was, you know, it's one of those actors' dreams. Like, you know, as actors, you, you everyone hates exposition. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to like, and then TV, especially when you got like, you know, <laughs> in, in like legal TV, when you got to like, oh, you got to like get the stuff out. And good writers make it like, you know. Yeah. You can taste it. You can, it's more palatable, but still, it's like it's never like what you dream to do. And so, the beauty of that scene was, I felt. I remember working with my coach on that. I was like, it's so great because for an entire episode and a half, you've seen him here or there briefly, but you hear so much about him that when we come to the scene, all of that work is done for me. I could just be in the moment of this scene in a bar in my neighborhood with people that I like that like me, uh, and and sort of take what what I'm being given from you know this new energy that's coming into the room and I don't know that was just really for me like so much fun because I thought it gave me the chance to really sort of you know I don't know but just play it very much true to the circumstances of the moment and not have to worry about bringing anything else into it because everything else was done for me well, one of the things that's good that works in terms of the character from the minute we see you is your is your history and that we know you primarily as a good guy. And so when you bring a little muscle to it, <laughs> a little weight to it, different kind of weight, we're art, it's like almost shocking instantly without you having to do too much dramatic too, too much a big moment of anything that's too dramatic, you know? Right, 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 right. It's kind of shocking to see you there. Yeah. <laughs> that you're one of those guys. You know, which is interesting to me. I talked to George about it, I think, at the premiere, about, you know, some of that response I've seen. And, and that's fascinating to me because, again, I've played two cops in movies, both bad cops. You know what I mean? Four brothers and SWAT, both turncoat bad cops. It's not the first time I've done this. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's interesting. It just goes back to what I'm saying about a sense that you constantly have to remind people of, like, what people forget, you know? And so it's just like, it's nothing personal. It just is what it is. So this is a new way to do that. And also, I think this is quite exquisite storytelling. And so I think it's, it's you know, how he's positioned in the narrative. You know, I'm so sorry. I'm so Great. sorry. Sorry, Dave, they're doing some plumbing work in the building, so I had to shut, shut the water I haven't gotten a delivery. Uh, it's too early for deliveries out here. <laughs> no, it wasn't delivery. They're doing some plumbing work in the building. I had, to, I had the water running, so sorry about that if you heard it. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it, you know, I, I think sometimes when, you know, I, I happen to stuff that's been put in front of me about the reactions to the show and or, or my work in it, you know, you hear against, against type a lot, and that's interesting to me, and that's fine. I think it's fair. And I think it's saying the same thing. I mean, I think what it is, is it's it's just, you know, an actor trying to, you know, 
live truthfully in a role. And, and, and in doing that, I think someone has been around for a while, you may have some sense of just trying to sort of, we all want to work on our range as an actor. That's what, that's what, that's why we're in this, you know, I think. Yeah. No, you've so, definitely played pricks before. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's just, this is the, in some ways, I think in a weird way, like SWAT is more, is the, is more of a movie, you know, TV show come to life and all of that. And I like four brothers a lot actually, but not a lot of people saw it. So, you know, this You'd is be surprised. Really? That's, a, that's one of those little cult weird followings people love. Yeah. Well, Wahlberg gets that. But I mean, I think Simon is really the, you know, the great neorealist of our time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this stuff is just, I mean, one of the things that's so beautiful about the show is that it is so simple in a way. It is so just, it is what it is. It's not, it doesn't feel embellished. It doesn't feel like it's trying to shock you or try, it just is what it is. Yeah. And I think it's one of the things that's beautiful about the writing throughout the whole piece. Is I agree. Well said. Yeah. It's almost like watching a documentary. Mm. So you, you've moved on to uh, Michael Franco, which I'm sure is not a light comedy. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to tell anything about it, but, <laughs> but Frank, I'm a big Franco guy. So me too. Me too. from the beginning. So it's like, you know, no, I will tell you, I just finished that recently. And, and I actually, I, that was um, quite possibly the best experience I've ever had in my career working on a film. I, I and I, it's all because of Michelle. I mean, I just, I, I absolutely loved working with him and I knew I wanted to work with him when I met him, you know, I've seen some of his films and, and he just, it was a process that I needed, you know, I needed to have, that right now i needed that little just i don't know sense of play sense of freedom sense of collaboration sense of respect that you know the sort of the person helming the story has in you and the trust um and the humanity you know what i mean i just think i i can't i mean i literally can't say enough about it i was just buzzing and buzzing and and i just i had lunch with peter sarsgaard the other day and i said man if i could just make every movie with you and michelle franco like i'd be happy like i'd be done it's just it was really really dreamlike just a dream situation and uh i I tell all my actor friends if you have an opportunity to work with this guy you should because it's just he's the real deal and and also i have to say like immensely lovely human being like i just that matters to me too, you know, mm-hmm. I never really saw the guy lose his cool much. He's just very even keel, you know, very open to what, to how things are. He has the story, he knows what he wants to tell, but yeah. you know, I don't know how, I mean, you know, his films and I know you've spoken to him and interviewed him. And, you know, I saw your interview with Tim actually a while ago. I remember, you know, about sundown, which was a really good interview, by the way, I really quite like, um, Tim is great. <laughs> I yeah, love Tim. Great. So He's great. And it was good. And, 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 it, and, you know, but I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know how well, like, you know, he, he edits his films while, while you're making them, you know? Um, and so that's one thing to say that, but actually as it's happening, I mean, the ability of like, then reshooting is a part of the film and it's not necessarily because like, you didn't do a good job as an actor. It's like, I have that and that's interesting, but now I'm putting it together. I realize like, I want to have this option too, is when I step away and look back and, I don't know. I, I found that. And also the, I mean, I know new order wasn't shot this way, but the, the rest of the films are primarily shot, you know, with one shot, like per scene, you know, there's maybe some limited coverage if it's absolutely necessary, but it's really that. And that kind of 
level of, of freedom. It's terrifying, I should say, first of all. But <laughs> but the thing is, is it's because I, I watching his movies and I think you would probably agree is is what I what I'm struck by many things. But one thing in the performances and I'm when I'm sort of reflect on as an actor is like they're very simple. They're very clear. Like they're, they're just they're just like there's so much truth in it. Like I don't find any fat bullshit in his so the fact that he was already just saying, I want you in this and like, I trust, you know, that, that literally gave me so much confidence in the sense that I, I said, like, of course I want people to see it, but I could care less if six people see it. It was the best experience I've ever had. Like it is what movies to me should be, you know, it just felt like, I don't know, I, I could go on and on. So absolutely. But there's something about him that's like Malik and Kubrick and it's like a weird, it's a, it's a hard comparison to be in. But I mean, there is a thing where they all they both reshoot a lot. They've got they both have lost their minds a little bit of how much they reshot. But he and he doesn't have that kind of budget, but he 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 really understands letting it breathe and and that you figure it out on almost like doing a play where you figured it out three weeks into the run. You know, you start to figure out where the character's really at. Exactly. Exactly. Figures it out. A hundred percent. That is it. What you just said is absolutely the perfect description of it. It is, you have that ability, which you never have in a movie, yet you have some element of that. I mean, you still have the ticking clock and you're making it, but you know, he tries to shoot everything as much as we can in, in chronological order. The, the sets are practical and they're all kept the majority of them so that you can kind of go back if you have to reshoot stuff and do that. And, um, and just really, you know, it's funny, I, I'm a huge Kubrick fan and, and Malik fan, but I, I obviously never worked with either of those guys or met them. But I, I, I would say that I, I do, I find Michelle like very much like, you know, his trust trust and faith in the actors. Uh, for some reason, I, I don't know, I would imagine it would be interesting to see what people that have worked with those guys said. For me, like it was such a collaboration, you know, and I know that those guys love actors, but how they interact with actors. I don't know if it's the same. Yeah. Like I felt very, felt very much a respectful collaboration that I appreciated. Well, I don't think like Jessica Chastain, I don't think quite knew what Terry was trying to get from her a lot of the time, <laughs> even though she loved the experience. I don't think she was like, you know, sometimes it was just, they were picking things up and it wasn't really clear how it was going to fit in because he yeah. edits. So, you know, his editing is so much the poetry for him. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, but, and maybe there's some of that with Michelle too. I, I think he, I think he was starting, as I was talking to him towards the end, like and hearing some things that were shifting and some things that they had discovered, you know, it was fascinating to me to like, yeah, see how he starts to put the pieces of the puzzle together as it becomes more and more, you know, I think at the end, like we weren't sure he was going to watch the cut and then we were going to decide like, well, we, is there anything else that I may need to reshoot? You know, I don't think we, we ended up doing anything else that week for me, but you know, it was, um, yeah, it was a ride, man. I, 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 I told my, I come home and tell my wife, it, it's kind of the way I felt sometimes doing plays. It's interesting. Like some of the best experiences I've had, you know, are doing plays, you know, or like coming home and knowing you have another day, but just that buzz and that energy that you feel of like digging into a character and particularly I'll say this, what I like most about plays is rehearsing the plays, David, you know, that, that you, that I actually get sad when the plays open. And even though I know the whole point is to share them with people, mm -hmm. there's something kind of like very special and private about that moment of a group of actors with a good director 
kind of in a writer, like digging into the material, just kind of bring the mind, the depths of it. And that level of play is part of what I really love about acting. And I, that's what I felt with a lot of the show. That's what it felt like. It was play. It was play in a very profound way. Like you can just, you can, you can go, you can try, you can explore, you can be, you are enough kind of what, and you know, and that, that again, I needed that, you know, I really did. Well, I mean, it would seem like a lot of television, not including We Own the City, you know, is work. I mean, it's like if there's a structure to it and there, you know, there's a, the deadlines are very specific and it's not, there's not a lot of the, ch- the directors change week to week and all this kind of stuff is going on. <laughs> and it just seems like that's a, uh, a craft thing more than a dig thing, you know? Yeah, it's, well, I think what it is, is it's like, there's incredible craft in it at TV as well. But I think from an acting point of view, you're right. It's like there's the, the, the nature of the schedule is one in which it's not conducive to all of that. So what I think is good about it is, is I'll tell you what, five years on the good wife, like we're building muscles in me that I use to this day to any film jumping into anything, just that sense of like, you know, scene work, you know, and, and digging into a scene and getting into like, you don't have the time to always elaborate. So, so, you know, forcing you to kind of work into like finding what's important about the scene, what the essence of the scene is, what the given circuit, what, what you want to do, what you want to say. I, I don't know. I, I found that all really, really helpful, you know, and and I also remember Robert King saying something. I think this was an episode I directed. when We were having like our early sort of meetings as the scripts were coming in and sort of talking about the tone of the piece. And, you know, it, it's all about like, Right. The tone to me is all about like filling the subtext, just making sure that what's not written, you know, that is clear. Right. And I think as an actor, it all felt pretty clear to me, but maybe sometimes for people it's not. So it's important to sort of highlight like, and I remember him saying, there's this one moment he said was between um, Linda Eman and Amanda Pete. It was this really emotional moment. And he said like, you know, Josh, you know, from our writing, like this scene is intentionally underwritten. You know what I mean? So know that when you go and you film it, like we know Linda and Amanda and you as a director will fill, will fill it. And then you realize like, oh, okay, right. That's cool. You know, like that's, that's really cool to, to, to know that, that writers like that have the trust in knowing that you don't need to overdo it because the actors will complete it, you know, in a, in a real way. I don't know. Well, Good Wife also is a New York show. Your act, the act, the level of the guest actors and support, I mean, just out of control. I mean, Unreal. Insanity. Oh, it was like just insane. It yeah. Was insane. It was a, it was a, yeah, a, a weekly kind of, um, it was felt like a weekly Christmas Passover kind of extraordinary yeah. circumstance. It's, so it's funny. I've always said that actors on tele, the thing that people like denigrate television acting sometimes versus film acting. And I'm like, but you never see a bad performance on television. It's stunning to me. I've almost, I've, I've seen mediocre performances, but yeah. you never see, it's always at least professional. And, you know, like, oh, interesting. interesting. I think in film, people reach other places and they're chasing other things, and all that. But I, I film television is amazingly quality. But do you think but do you think that what you just said is interesting to me? Do you, do you think people really still view it that way? The way in which you were saying about people talk about TV acting as opposed to film acting. I don't feel those lines anymore. I don't feel that actors I, talk, I don't feel people work is the work. I mean, I feel like television has, by and large, you know, with our friend Michelle and other exceptions aside, you know, some of the writing TV has surpassed most movies I see these days. I mean, in terms of the quality overall of a ton well, the blur of is, it's certainly blurry now <laughs> in a different way yeah, than I it was 30 years ago. For a while. I mean, 
would you say like, I mean, Brian Cranston or, you know, James, you know, Gandolfini and those guys, yeah. I mean, those performances yeah. are, I don't know, I'd put them on a par with any movie, you know? Well, when great writing shows up, it does. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not talking about game, I'm not talking about the great performances or the, yeah. You know, no, I know um, what you're saying. I know what the point you were making. It just got me thinking about like, I, from your point of view, I was actually really interested because for me, the lines are so different now than they were when I was a younger actor coming up, whereas yeah. television was very much looked that way. It, it's not now, you know, it's like right. every television is the way actors make money. You know, that's the way actors make money. Unless you're one of, you know, 15 people or you're in the Marvel right. universe, like television <laughs> is, is how you do it. Right. I mean, that's yeah. just the truth. And so, and it's good that television has really improved because uh, we all rely on it. Yeah. So, no, I do. I think there is that, but I do think there is a, weird there's still a weird thing where it's there are i think there are people i mean they, they try them in a movie or something but i think there's like a there's a sense that there's a boundary for a lot of actors and then there are actors who are better than that and it doesn't really they do better they do great work in film they do great work in television but i think a lot of the i think being on television in a weird way is a uh if you get lot if you're known for it you know like anthony anderson obviously does all kinds of stuff really well, but the odds of yeah. him getting a lead of a movie tomorrow, a feature film, you know, a theatrical film, pretty low, which has nothing to do with his talent level or his whatever. He's just the t- a TV guy for so long that they get kind of locked in. The way you were talking about getting in a box yourself as a kid. You yeah, know? no, I, I think it's, I think it's also, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, having, you know, you, you mentioned him, like for me, most of my work has been, you know, of late, like a lot of it in television. So, and so I feel like something like the good wife, like I finished and I felt very proud of the work we did on that, but then it, it's interesting what you say, because you realize when you're inside of it and you step away from it, you realize, Oh, wow. You, you see the impact that television has it's just the reach that it has so many more people potentially. Yes, you know? absolutely. And so I think there was a way, like, I realized like, Oh, like maybe it was even an actress said to me, you got to remember, like you just came off this mountain, like, you know what I mean? Like, let that float a little bit, you know, because you're thinking like, when what, I want to do this, I want to do that. And it's like, everything has its sort of, you know, it's ebb and it's flow. And I, and I feel, um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I intimacy knew- about television. I mean, people had an intimate relationship with you on yeah, good wife. Like- people felt very personally and passionate about, you know, and they, when you're spending that much time with an actor, it's a different, you know, it, that whole thing about you're coming into my house. No, it's true. It's still real. And but movies you, are kind of like somehow. That, but movies that are, most movies now are, are, are screen streaming. I don't feel like the huge difference. I feel like it's changed. You know, I feel like, yeah, I feel like so many of the, and I know you were saying before that there are some people that stay here and some can cross and do all that. But look at all the people that would be historically quite just movies that are all doing television. Oh, yeah. Well, they're all, they will all stoop for money. <laughs> you and think some of them are doing very personal things on television. Do you think it's that though? Or do you think it's also like the ability to explore character, you know, an arc of a character with a little more depth and a little more length and yeah, make money, but also like, I don't know, dive into think, something. Yeah. I think streaming until up and I mean, I think it's evolving still, but I think streaming is a bit a place for a lot of really good actors and a lot of them really good film actors to explore more, to, to get the thing that they wanted to do that, that, w- that really doesn't work as a commercial theatrical production that mm-hmm. has to make back money. 
and it works great over six episodes on Apple Plus, you know, Apple TV Plus, right. or whatever, where it's an opportunity to t- Amy Schumer is the, you know, doing her series, obviously extremely personal for her, um, for better, or for worse. And it doesn't have that kind of same pressure to be funny all the time. And it wasn't, you know, like she had the freedom to explore, which I thought right. was very interesting. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. But I do think it's evolving. I think we're, I think, unfortunately, we're about to head into a uh, 30% cut in production. So we'll see. It does seem like that, doesn't it? Well, there's they, they, it, this idea that you could spend $18 billion a year on new content is, was insane. Yeah. No, <laughs> always with, was insane. I was always wondering when that was going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. I think the bubble burst with the stock market on, in you know, February or whatever. Was yeah. Happening. Right. No, it's true. Um, but, it, you know, they'll all end up doing it differently. There'll be, there'll be great fortunes made and great fortunes lost and all of that stuff. Right, right, right. <laughs> so it seems yeah. like you are, like, happy. <laughs> it seems like you're in a place where you're, like, doing work that you're interested in, being pushed a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy. I, I need to, listen, I, you know. I got to make some money. I mean, that's the only thing is really about trying to balance that out, you know, and uh, that's the tricky part, you know, it's just trying to feel like figure out what you're doing to do that and what you're doing to fulfill your sort of creative soul and trying to marry those two. And, you know, it's tricky because the older I get, I have less appetite to do the other, you know, it needs to be done. So the irony that's the yeah for everybody and that's that that's the balance for me but in terms of i don't know i never view myself as as happy per se i think maybe content would be you know but i i think i just take stock in the things i have you know beautiful wife and 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 two awesome kids who challenge me you know and, and keep me grounded and humbled and that that really does have a lot to do with it it just you know it makes me realize like why I'm doing that. I'm doing this so like I can feel proud about it and therefore hopefully they can feel proud about me and my work. And, you know, and I am happiest when I'm doing things that feel, you know, think of Michelle's movie. I could dime on that. I could care less. I was, I was giddy coming home. Just like, it was as if the buzz, like I said, of like doing some, you know, when I did Annie Baker's play, I mean, the way we felt those actors, you know, doing that every night and coming home and, or, you know, just buzzing off rehearsal, what it felt like, you know, to just sort of play that music with other actors. Um, that's what it felt like. And that's what I live for. I, I want to be working with interesting people. I want more of those experiences. So I'm happy in some ex- to some extent, but I, I'm also greedy, you know, because now I have that and I, I want to work, you know. I, it's, the, the filmmakers that I've worked with, I think like, like in that, like Michelle, and, you know, before that, Pascal Ferrand, like the European, you know, Mexican filmmakers that come up with a different sensibility certainly seems to be, you know, my jam. You know, I, I like that. I feel very good in that element, uh, working with somebody who's very confident and, you know, very much has a vision. And there's something about that that I find really intoxicating. So I hope to have more of those experiences if they'll have me. <laughs> And Michelle is one of those guys, similarly, it's like he couldn't care less, really. He's just, he's going to do what he's going to do. The Mexican, you know, the, the mainstream in Mexican cinema kind of hates him in a way. We talked about that. Back. I'm not sure I fully understand that. I mean, I guess it's more It's fun. weird. Yeah. Because, I mean, well, it, after the three amigos left town, basically, 
he's I think the finest filmmaker in Mexico at this point, but they don't really want it because he I think he talks about things that scare them. But other than New Order, what, what was there? Other ones that that that, that gave that same effect? They're all sure. he, they're all tough. I mean, they're not like yeah, they're not they're not about the visual. They're not. I mean, you know, Alejandro had movies that were so visual and cool and Guillermo has this kind of genre sensibility and you know each of them has their own thing but they're like bigger <laughs> and Michelle is about people and their feelings and um you know I just don't it's interesting that he's if he were French he would be revered you know he'd be the most beloved filmmaker in the country <laughs> but so that's I love that I love that yeah no it's it, it's true though right it's interesting well, I think that's, I remember sort of watching, I remember when I first watched After Lucia and I, I just remember the level, I thought like well, great filmmaking, like so many things, but like one thing is creating some sense of tension, right? Tension in the view and the tension that I had watching that film. I mean, that I was in knots, the whole film, like I wanted to, to reach out and grab that girl and say, come with me and talk to call her. You know, like I, I wanted not, to see what was happening happen. I wanted her to make a different choice. I wanted him to make a different choice. And yet it was right when I was watching, but it was the, the struggle that I went on through myself was just remarkable. And I, I just, I, 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 I don't know. There's something about that that I just find riveting, you know, riveting. I could watch it. it. It's like, you don't want it, but you do. You kind right. of love being in that, in that zone. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this movie turns out again. To me, it's the process is everything, and it was second to none. Well, the thing is, I don't think I've. Seen, I think all of his movies, you feel what he feel. What it's like for some people, the focus is the script or the idea or whatever. For him, it's the human emotion, and everything else feeds that somehow in every film. Yes, yes. and you don't always know. It's not the same journey. It's obviously. I mean, Lucia is a painful a movie as I've ever seen. I think. It's hard to watch. I mean, I like it. I love the movie, but it's hard. But, you know, it's funny because Tim Roth made uh, Warzone, which is very similar in terms of the yes. degree of agony in it. Yeah. Um, and brilliant, I think. But it's, it's very difficult to watch. And it's like, but I mean, those, for me, those are some of my most beloved films are mm -hmm. the ones that are really making you feel something. Because why else are you having the experience? You know, it's, yeah. Why, why go through it? Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I'm really, I, I, that's one. It's, it's tricky too, because I don't really like to watch most of my stuff anymore. I mean, sometimes I do like this show, I'll watch episodes, but not a lot. You know, I don't really like to watch my work anymore, which is weird. I just, I don't know. Some, somewhere it shifted in me where I got tired of it. You know, I just don't. And so certainly when I'm working, he's so collaborative in the sense of like, do you want to see the scenes? Like, you know, see, <laughs> And I, I would watch it sometimes, but it's not really, it's not my thing. You know, I don't right. really want to do that. Um, for better or worse, I don't know. Maybe I should watch them more. I, I, I find I, I can stay more inside of it if I just don't pay attention to that, especially with someone you trust. You know, like I, I was talking to an actress the other day who was saying how she doesn't ever watch the monitors on the set, but she watches every, she's able to watch every show, everything she shoots. She eventually, what's the, out, the, the finished product she's comfortable with? somehow but yeah she can't watch on set <laughs> yeah i know like a lot of television directors and really good television directors don't watch the finished results anymore you know because they 
in TV, you know, you direct, you, you hand in your cut, and then the producers do what they do with it, and it's their it's their sort of ultimate sort of you know they're the arbiter of, of what final decisions get made. And I just know a lot of directors are like, you know, they've just done that enough and seen things shift that they're like, I just don't. Yeah. I know what I did. I know what I made. I know what I put out, and like whatever it is, it is. Yeah. And um, I feel like whatever this movie is, what will be fascinating will be the humanity in it, and that it, it will be. It will feel, I think, it will feel very much authentic, you know, and very um, grounded. That's the thing. I find his work all very grounded. It feels very much, you know, you talk about like David and George and like, you know, letting the story, you know, having to do the work a little bit that it's, I mean, you said it was sort of simple, like documentary, like, but I also think there are layers in that writing. Oh, yeah. it's like not all spoon fed to, you, you know, you got to, you got to lean in a little bit mm -hmm. and some people that's frustrating for and with Michelle and the film equivalent of that I think you absolutely have to lean in you got to lean in and you got to sit there and you got to wait and you got to you know to me it's always worth it in his films I always find it rewarding to sort of sit through them and I'm really interested in this one um well I I mean the funny thing is I do think we own the city has that element of you're watching something that's real and at the same time you don't want it to be happening you right. Want, you want it like you're trying to figure out how to, the history is going to change somehow by the end and that other no, things exactly. are going to happen. But it yeah. is just like, you know, nope, this is what happened. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> live with it. This is what happens. And we know, you know, early on what happens. You know, right. This is where we're, where, where, how do we get there? You know, how do we get there? It's the um, most emotional things in a way are how the city reacts or doesn't to it and to the politics of, dealing with something that's absolutely real and actually has a purpose in a way you know it's that thing of yeah. you know he's cleaning he's getting gun they're getting guns off the streets but what's the price for that right yeah were your parents from baltimore proper or did they my father was raised in a was first generation in a row house in downtown and my mother was from new york and miami and ended up moving to baltimore and then we moved back to miami in 72 but so my how father, so you moved to Miami when you were younger, like when I was there. like in second, third grade, we went back and forth for a while. But you my did. dad had a, a factory on Race and Osmond downtown. And what was that factory? What did they, he was a, did it was made boxes and bags. Oh, cool. And, we, and it was like you could I'd go I'd be down there and I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave the building because <laughs> it was such a bad neighborhood. I was going to get killed. But we'd go to the deli and get cotty cakes, and uh, those were all good memories of my childhood. Do you still have family in Baltimore or no? I do. Still have cousins left. Hmm? Cousins and like, cousins and yeah, my 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 uncle has passed. All my father and her his siblings have passed, but yeah. they um, their families are still there. And then I have one sister who lives in but near DC. So, gotcha. And then my sister goes back all the time because she did, she graduated park school and she, you know, so those are her homies. <laughs> so she sees, she, they just had their, I think, 60th anniversary, 60th, uh, you know, whatever. And oh maybe God. 65th, I don't know. But anyway, but that's they all intense. hang out and they are all friends and they go to, I get to go see the Orioles every time I come to town. So that's good. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> they are have you really a good tickets. Fan or no? do, you, do you follow the Orioles? I'm a Yankees or? fan. I grew up, I actually went to Colts game as a, as a kid, as a little kid with blankets and stuff. It was yeah. freezing and watched Johnny Unitas. Um, that's how I'm a little older than you, like seven, eight years. Um, 
And then we went to Miami and the Dolphins were the only team in Miami. There was no baseball or basketball or right. hockey. Right. So I became obsessed with them. And then the Yankees were the only team they played on TV in Miami because there were so many snowbirds. Right. So I became a Yankees fan. Right there. That's a good one. That's a, you've had some good runs. Yes. Well, you know, when I moved to LA, when uh, Phil Jackson came out here, we got season, I got season tickets with a friend and the first two seasons, they won championships and then we got bored. (laughs) 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 We weren't as committed. Oh my God. Where in LA? David, can I ask you? you Over by uh, Cantor's in the Grove. So Cantor's still open. Cantor's is still open. That whole neighborhood has become so hipster. I know. Last there's a series about it on Amazon. There's an animated about- series called Fairfax. I have to watch it. It's really funny about, you know, uh, Supreme and all that stuff and all the kids waiting yeah. for the drop. Yeah. And the pizza place that's there, right? Is that? Well, the that- old pizza place is gone. It's been replaced by very hip uh, guys uh, named John and Vinny. So they have an Italian restaurant in that old space uh, that used to be open all night. It was kind of a great place. Right. And, um, yeah, the street is it's it's a little neighborhood has changed. The Orthodox no, no. have moved out. They've moved yeah. further towards La Brea. And uh, that's some nights and cancers, man. Yeah. Fun. The kids, the, the dime is still there. Right. And did you were you there for the olive? Have you been out here for that? Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. The olive is now flipped over. The hotel is sold. And it's something that place, else now. I lived in L.A. during that time. So I love the olive. That was like, like in fact, I met Tim Roth there. That's that was the first time I ever met Tim Roth. That was so cool. And I I mean I don't I don't know Tim well, but I remember meeting him. He didn't know me at the time. We had a nice chat at the bar. And that was cool. That's right. The olive. It was good food and it was dark and the music was great. great. It was John Seidel, wasn't it? It was John yeah. Seidel and and all these different guys that ran it. I can't remember. They were they great. Great vibe in that food. Great fry, those fries, right? The thin yep. fries in the paper bag, right? Wasn't yep. it? Yeah. That was good times there, man. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a long time ago. It really does. And um, how's LA right now? All right. Or uh, Okay. It's, you know, people are stopped wearing masks everywhere. So we're waiting for the next wave of that happening. Yeah. And, um, but it's, you know, LA is LA. It's very mellow for the most part. We, I, I like living outside of the West side. Because yeah. it's a little too much West Side for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, you know, we like walking also. Because we're, we're, we're from the East Coast, we actually walk. So yeah. we now have the Grove is, you know, three blocks one way and Melrose is three blocks the other way. And we can actually yeah, walk to nice. the store. Do you, is the Grove, what, what's there? Where, are you still eat at that one place? What's it called? The uh, farm? LA Farm? No. Yeah. Is that- that was no. over further west. Oh, oh, the LA farm has been gone for a long time. The one in the Grove has been gone. Okay. They flipped over. They've not been able to maintain restaurants. The only place left is there's an Italian place, I think. But E. Baldi is in there now. And there's a sushi place. And Oh, wow. Yeah, it's changed a lot. It's it's Now they're celebrating their 20th anniversary of the Grove. Much oh, to my horror. Wow. <laughs> so there are almost no stores left that were originally there. FAO Schwartz was replaced by American yeah. Girl. Which has now been replaced by Hulu for the moment. I think they're doing their TV promotion in there. <laughs> yeah, that was the last time that I was living there in LA. Was right. That's right. Twenty was those when when they were putting the Grove in. Because I remember because the field behind that parking lot 
you know, on the on the uh, Gilmore yeah. east side, right? Yeah. That little street that goes down to Erwan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Th- that field on the other side, that was where I played softball when I lived back in the day. And we had weekly softball games. That was like, all these fields and stuff. And it just got, you know. Yeah. Well, they've actually put uh, fences and things up in the park for, so they have soccer, proper soccer fields now. It doesn't go off. Of baseball field diamond, uh, diamonds for baseball or softball. Um, they actually kind of structured it. So there are not as many homeless living there, but during COVID, it was actually pretty dangerous because it was kind of where the homeless gathered in this area and lived. So there were a lot of stabbings and thieves and whatever. It's yeah. And then of what's course, you're going to pay the stars. What's your place in LA? What's my favorite witch? Sushi. Um, we don't really, I'm, I, my wife stopped eating sushi when she got pregnant, which is 12 years ago now, 13 years ago. So we don't eat as much. There's actually a place in the farmer's market called Sushi of Gogo. <laughs> we like but and my son likes sushi who's 12 but um it's not as much of a uh, obsession in this family i didn't really start eating sushi till she stopped eating sushi i don't know why yeah that's interesting it's one of those weird <laughs> marital things yeah but, uh, no moza was a big addition to the neighborhood for a while yeah. i mean it's yeah. been now there for over a decade so we're used to it well there's also that little canadian place on melrose tortoni or whatever that's a good little place yeah it's a little bit like sceny for me is it yeah i like the pizza there it's it's interesting little pizza it's not bad not new york style but it's good well there's a place down the street that's actually a great little italian restaurant his name i'm forgetting at the moment but it um anyway but there is a couple there are a few great restaurants it's it's a weird town as you know yes i do spent Um, a lot of time there we drove out to eagle rock just the other day to have uh to go to um to get a burger (laughs) and you know to uh what the hell's the name of the place anyway but that's changed too because of COVID. It's now like everything is takeout and deliveries. Right, right. Well, I always thought that LA, when I've been out there working a few times since COVID, it's like, it feels like it's a place made for COVID. I mean, everything's, the weather's nice. There's so much outdoor seating anyway. Yeah. You know, when we were going to Beverly Hills and seeing they took that one whole street and like made it outside seating. And, you know, I don't know. Well, there's a good well, place that they had at Larchmont Kitchen is on uh, La Brea which has this kind of great little outdoor space and the food is really clever and smart and interesting. And nice. It's like, Oh, okay. Oh, this is the experience we're supposed to be having. I don't know um, when, I don't know when I'm due back out there again, man. I hope soon. Be nice. Maybe it's nice. I feel the, the same way about New York. <laughs> you do. You don't know when you're coming back. I, well, I haven't flown. I don't think in like now two years. Um, wow. But I miss it. You know, I, I, I would probably move back to New York, but I miss the theater enormously. Yeah, me too. Um, it's for me, that's like, you know, whatever's whatever there is now, I still I haven't had the chance to consume. So, yeah, it's I haven't either. Actually, I still I mean, I we got COVID most of my family about a month and a half ago. We've succumbed to it finally. But I still haven't like seen a play in so long, you know, and I need to. And I would love to love to get back and do another play. But that's that's the pandemic made that really hard for me, you know, just because it's it's like it's hard to find that time time now where you can really commit to something you know um but it will happen again i actually go to movies a lot i don't i'm not afraid of going to movies so i i've i've taken that up again which is very pleasurable did you go to can i didn't go this it's just like it seemed to me like a potentially everybody's gonna get sick so i was like okay maybe not i'm gonna tell your ride in september love that festival to figure out whether i can go to toronto because my son needs to be taken to school Right, of course. I don't know how that happened to me. (laughs) 
I mean, I used to go to at least 50, 60, 70 days of years of festival, uh, days a year of festivals. And I just, I can't leave the house. When did you start doing this stuff? Like, how did that morph into, what was your first? It's been about 13 years. David Dinnerstein, who I don't know if you know, but I think he may have produced one of your movies. Um, He was working with a company with a guy who was the head of publicity, had retired as the head of publicity at Paramount. And they were trying to do a Facebook for movie lovers called iClips. And they asked, David came to me and asked me to do something. So I did like a five minute segment originally called Lunch with David. And the gig was, I would sit down and the camera would be on the other side, like somebody I was sitting down to have lunch with. And I would just blather on about what was going on in the business that week. And then I realized I had a camera and a crew and a restaurant, a place to shoot. Why am I not shooting talent that I'm talking to otherwise about the Academy Awards or whatever? And so Jackie Earl Haley for Little Children was the first one. And um, I did a bunch of them at Ammo, which is gone now. Yeah. Replaced by a good restaurant, but still gone, sadly. Um, and then I, the company like lost everything. They did not organize well. They were like an early, it was early internet and they didn't realize you should keep the tapes, you know, or you should keep the clips or whatever. Right. So I got it back about a third of the interviews I did and lost a bunch, which were still painful to me to this day. Like Paul Verhoeven, great interview with Paul Verhoeven. That's just gone. Mm. Um, and then I started doing it myself. And then I've been doing, I was doing like 200 a year for a long time. And doing it at Toronto, doing it at Telluride, doing it at, you know, in Berlin sometimes or whatever. And um, I can actually, I shot, that's the first place I shot Michelle um, for Lucia, which was completely under the radar. I think it was a certain regard. It wasn't a main title. And I saw it and I was like, oh my God, I can talk to this person. And it was, it's pissed, it upset people enormously. I mean, it was, people walked out, all that stuff. But I was I like, can't remember, I can't remember. I was there with Bird People with Pascal, and I, I want to say it was maybe the year. I, I, I keep when I see that he was. I was wondering, was he there that same year, or was it the next? I think we were there maybe the next year, maybe like. Yeah. I because I don't remember. I didn't see any movies when I was there anyway. I was just too too busy. But I, I, I gotta go back and look because that's that was the first time you saw his stuff. Then was after Lucia was there. That yeah yeah. And it was uh, just breathtaking. And oh. I mean, I loved other stuff. And I think the Mads Mikkelsen movie, whether he was a teacher who was being uh, accused of sexual harassment or sexual abuse of kids. I think that right. was the same year. And they won, I think. And he, or maybe it was the same year as, as uh, uh, Blue is the Warmest Color. I don't know. It's all a blur. Right. It does. It all. You it's see all so- a French blur to me now. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I love that festival and it's great, but it's like, it's so funny when everybody goes and goes, oh yes, it's starting the Oscar season. I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but it's, you know, like who would, who doesn't want to go to the South of France and watch movies all day? It's like, it's not sure. that bad. Yeah, I know. I know. It's not bad. Yeah. I do like, I do like Telluride though. That's a fun place. <laughs> For me, Beautiful. that's the best still. Always. Me too, the best. Yeah. Just so chill and laid back and and you can see movies. You can actually go to movies as a person who's there. And talk to filmmakers in a very relaxed way. Yeah. You know, like it's not like it's not sort of uh, the structure of it. I found really like yeah. free, fun. Yes, I remember. I, I, I was there. I remember having like Philip Kaufman and like John Schlesinger having like coffee with them and just talking. I was like, this is pretty cool. I'm a young actor getting to talk to these guys, mm. talking to Schlesinger. I mean, it was yeah. interesting. 
I was one of a pre video. I was, I became uh, friendly with Phil Kaufman over quills. Cause I think I was one of the only people who loved it, <laughs> <laughs> but he, we used to hang out in San Francisco. That whole scene, the whole, t- like the whole Telluride thing moves to San Francisco when it's off season. So it's, uh, the people that run the festival, the people, run, the people run, it's run out of, tele, out of San Francisco primarily. Tom, uh, Tom uh, Luddy. Right. Tom Luddy. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I'm looking forward to going back this year. Last year missed again. You did. So you will go this year. And yeah. there's a, can you fly direct from LA? You can, right? So. You cannot, you have to fly. You can, there is a charter that goes to Montclair, I guess, or not, not Montclair, whatever it is. The, yeah, right. the city that you then drive an hour and a half to go. Um, you can take a plane to Denver and then go Denver to Telluride. Though it's a scary, I used to do that back when I worked for Time Warner and they'd pay for everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be on there with like the people in the mood in the show and I'd be trying to figure out who, what the bit was going to be when we crashed. And I always remember Elizabeth Berkeley was the most famous person on the plane one year. And I was like, I am not going to be in an obit where I'm after Elizabeth Berkeley. Nothing against Elizabeth Berkeley. I'm sure she's a lovely lady, but that would be, you know, I was on with Stellan Skarsgård once. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> I'm willing to be after him. That's but, yeah. dark. I love it. No, there is. A, I was thinking about going there, taking my son this year skiing. And so there is from New York, there's, there's a direct flight, not to tell you right, but to the biggest town right next to it, 40 minutes. And then right. Drive. And well, big plane. To pick. There are three towns. Yeah. Kind of circle it. Yeah. And then you drive in. Mm, cool. But it's a beautiful place. And the, it really is. The festival is amazing. I don't know how it's going to evolve, but I, I have treasured it for a very long time. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty, pretty great. And real film lovers go there. Like, it yeah. doesn't surprise it. it's like all now the real. media found it kind of so that's become a little different but it, I, yeah. I used to go there i guess the new york times went in the very early days and they stopped <laughs> so when i started going there there was no new york times there was no wall street journal there was no, none of the oscar press or anything and it was like i actually lived in a b i could rent an airbnb on main street on, the, on colorado and just you know wander out in the morning and wander to your eight o'clock movie and it was just but there still is no classic press there right it's, it's still done that way it, it, uh, yes and or, no because yeah. basically the oscar media found it four or five six seven eight years ago now um it was really with um juno was kind of when the start of that happened and then it became like you have to be there to be there for the beginning before toronto and so people started going to tell you right instead of toronto or before toronto um because basically the window it's Tell your ride ends on Monday and Toronto starts on Thursday. So it's a very isn't there a big competition now where like if you have someone tell you ride like Toronto won't t- like isn't it like they they kind of if you're at Tell Your Ride or Venice, you have to start on Monday at Toronto instead of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So every basically Toronto is very, very front loaded into Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and there's my wife. Um <laughs> and um you kind of so people wanted to be in those slots, but I think they've kind of all relaxed into the idea that Monday and Tuesday are okay. No, so, such... hmm. But then COVID also came into it, so this year will be the first year Toronto is fully back. Um, and last year was the year Toronto Tell Your Ride came back, so yeah, it's all evolving. Yeah, I'll be interested to see where Michelle's movie goes if it goes. I mean, if he holds it for try to go to Cannes or Venice or you know, probably one of those, I would think. Yeah. Um, He'll figure out when he figures out what he what he's done. Exactly. Probably already. Yeah, probably. 
He knows. Um, anyway. It was so nice talking to you, man. A pleasure talking to you and congratulations yeah. on the show. Thank you so much. And I hope I hope I get to meet you in person. Have a Baltimore hang. Maybe we'll do a, a memory junket. Oh, yeah. Be great. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> See you, bud. Bye, David. Bye.